one of the most um, most deadly things a Christian will ever face is containment. Because you can get very happy where you are. I go to churches, and have you ever heard us four and no more? You've ever heard that? That's very true in the church today. Sometimes it's not four, it might be five or 50 or 500. But people get the idea, it's just us. We're going to do what we're going to do. We're comfortable with it, and we're not going to go any different. You know, uh, when the church got out of, you remember when the church kind of got out of suits and ties and things kind of shifted? I still go to churches. They tell me when I come, make sure you wear a suit and a tie. Now, you know, I'm, I, I'm not offended by that. It doesn't bother me at all. You know, a lot of times I do that anyway, but you just never know. Pastor, in my car, I usually carry with me two outfits just in case. And if they don't tell me, I see what the pastor's wearing, and then I go change. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I've walked into a building, the pastor had a tie on, and I had to run out to my truck and get a tie and put it on just so that, you know, I want to make sure I was in order. And everybody's always so gracious. And, oh, you didn't have to do that, brother, but you know when they don't invite you back that you were supposed to wear a tie, <laughs> you know. And so, uh, and that, that doesn't happen very often, but those things do happen. But, uh, but I, I want to talk to you about containment a little bit and what containment is. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to approach it from a little different way. Can I talk to you a little bit about deliverance tonight? Because in order to, to get out of containment, that's why I brought my box, because it really doesn't matter how big of a box it is, it's still containment, right? You can have a box, you can have a church of 5,000 people and still be contained. You can have a church of 10 people, a ministry with five people involved or millions of people involved, but you still get contained. And I believe God's called me to help people get free, get set free and get delivered from containment. But I want to approach containment from a, just a little, a, different, a little different place tonight. So if you'll bear with me, in uh, Mark chapter 5, verse 1, it says, And they came over to the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gar Gerardines. And when he was come out of the ship, Jesus, immediately there he met a man out of the tombs, with an unclean spirit. So if, you're, um, if you write in your Bible, you really need to underline those words, unclean spirit, because we have a generation that I believe that is bombarded by an unclean spirit. Now, uh, you know, I know, Pastor, I know you teach on deliverance. I know you, Miss Sandy, both do. But uh, how many of you, under the sound of my voice tonight, have knowingly come and been confronted by an unclean spirit? Let me see your hand. Amen. Uh, there, there are things that, there are ways that you know. You know, there's, there's always sexual sin that is involved in these things. But uh, I've, I've been confronted by unclean spirit. And the first, the first thing that I noticed was the uncleanness of the person. Now, I know that, I'm not saying that's always the case. But in this time, God's way of letting me know. God has a way that he speaks to all of us. And if you'll learn the patterns of how he speaks to you, there will come clarity in God's voice in your life. I was back last month, the first of last month, and you guys have been so fortunate here. Uh, I, just, uh, I just had a church call me. They just canceled me, Pastor, last Sunday morning. And they called me on, I think, uh, Wednesday and said, Pastor Benny, I'm really sorry. Uh, we don't know if we're going to be able to have you this weekend because everybody in the church is sick. Now, this is, this is not unusual. At the very beginning of this, the, the pandemic, we would, hear, you know, we would hear cases where people had it here and there. But um, that's the second church this, this, in the past, uh, this season, in the past couple of months, 
Now that's happened to the church I'm going to next month in uh, Des Moines, Iowa. The pastor called me, same thing. Pastor, they shut down for two weeks. They had nobody there. The pastors were sick. Everybody was sick. They shut down for two weeks. And, and he, he calls me, tells me this. And I'm thinking, oh, you know, he's, he's going to cancel. <laughs> you, know, I, you know, it's okay. But, but uh, so, you know, Lord, I'm just going to start praying now because I know you'll work it out. And so uh, he's talking with me, and, and uh, I had it on speakerphone. I still had my uh, cast on, and so I had a hard time just holding my hand up to my ear. So I, I was using my speakerphone, and my wife was listening to the conversation. And I looked at her, and I go, he's going to cancel. <laughs> I said, don't it sound like he's going to cancel to you? <laughs> and she's like, it does. And then he just blows my mind and says, so I said all of that to say we're ready for revival, which was awesome. And I started laughing. I said, Pastor, I really thought you were canceling. I really did. I said, I'm sorry. I wasn't doubting you. I said, but I, but I understand. But so, so in the midst of all of this, you know, it's, it's been kind of a crazy season. But, but um, we, we have confronted, uh, but uh, back in the first of uh, September, we, we, did, we were at a camp meeting. And all the leadership of the camp meeting ended up sick. And so my wife and I, we kind of stepped in and we helped. And I fronted and did a lot of the work with the camp meeting that I would normally have done. I always help out, but not like I normally did. But it was my night to preach. And uh, this lady is standing there and she has these white shoes on. Like nurse's shoes is what they look like. And so I looked over at her and I'm praying for somebody else. And instantly God stops me and says, tell her I'm healing her back. And I'm, I'm like, why did I notice her shoes? If you'll, if those, who's ever had those things happen? You've had God speak to you, you know, kind of in that way, just even off the wall. If you'll ask God, God, why did you show me that? He'll reveal it to you and it'll help you hear his voice more clearly. And so he said, stop and tell her that I'm going to heal her back. I don't know why he drew attention to her shoes. I have no to this. I still don't. But it was just a little thing that God showed me where he, so I released that word over this lady's life. I said, sis, I said, the Lord told me to tell you that he's going to heal your back. She falls out under the power of God, hits the ground. Nobody catches her. There's nobody around. She starts rolling around rolling around and flipping chairs over and I mean not in a demonic way but rejoicing and praising God and glorifying the Lord and and uh you know I, I was just I didn't get to say anything else to her I don't know if God had anything else for her or not but I was done you know and so I went on praying for other people after the service pastor she comes to me I've never met her before she comes to me and said but Benny what you don't know is I'm scheduled for back surgery on October the 3rd and she said, I came tonight believing for my healing. Isn't that, see, that's how God works. And so, um, so if, you'll, if you'll have an ear to hear, so I'm going to show you some things in this first part of this message that will kind of help you. But the Bible says that the man came up, he had an unclean spirit. So when we deal with people, uh, many of you, I know you pray for people on the streets, you're going to come across unclean spirits on the streets. You're going to come across people who, and sometimes it'll just be manifested in the way they take care of themselves. I know sometimes people, you know, they say, well, we don't judge people. You're not judging people. You're using the discernment that God has given you, and you know how to pray. But if you go up to them, and before you even get to them, you start binding that unclean spirit, what will happen is their mind will begin to clear. And they'll be able to receive the gospel uh, just in a um, uh, just just a little easier. And and it says uh, and it says a man with unclean spirit. And it says this. This is what I want to show you. And he dwelt amongst the tombs. 
and no man could bind him, no, not with chains. Okay, so this man was bound, right? This man lived in a box every day of his life. Every day he got up, he was in, but isn't it awesome how it says no chains could hold him? So even though they chained him up, and, and of course that was the custom of the day, they could not deal with him, so they literally would chain them up. Now, uh, back in the temp, temp preacher days, there was a well-known temp preacher who traveled all over America and had all kinds of awesome miracles and this, uh, uh, they brought in this demoniac, as they used to call him, lost his mind. In today's culture, they would have probably put him in a, in a, uh, in a, 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 a hospital. He has spent the rest of his life there. Uh, his family, they didn't have that option. And they brought him in, and they tied him to the middle post pastor of the tent. Tied him up. And he hissed and he spit. I mean, if you've never, you may, I know, I know, you know, you, you all aren't like everybody else. So I have a liberty to preach this that I wouldn't preach everywhere, you know. But um, if, if you've never experienced those things, I'm here to tell you this is real. There is a real demonic world out there, and uh, these people want to kill, steal, and destroy. And it's not the people that we're dealing with, but the spirits that are operating behind them, right? So this man was hissing and spitting and cursing, and. Um, all of a sudden, the evangelist come walking through, and he said, what's going on here? And he says, why do you have that? And they had, oh, for, for, for days, they had people walking around him praying, and people doing Jericho marches, and people jumping up and down, and throwing oil on him, and all kinds of stuff. And, and I mean, this went on for days. And finally, the preacher just went up there and whispered in his ear. And all of a sudden, the man came at perfect peace, just, just like that right mind, walked out of there completely healed and delivered by the power of God. They came up to that man and they asked him, said, what did you say? We've prayed for him for days. What was it that you said? I, I won't say the name of the evangelist, but I'll just say Pastor Scott. He just whispered in his ear and he said, my name is Scott Boyd and I command you in the name of Jesus to leave now. And he did. See, every one of you as believers, you have that kind of authority to set people free. You have that kind of authority to walk in freedom yourself. But I think this is where the church has missed it. We are not walking in that kind of freedom. We've allowed the enemy to come in. We've allowed him to chain us to a wall. We've allowed him to tell us this is we can only grow this far. We can only do this much for the kingdom. And then we have the government that comes in and says you can only do this and this and this. And then we have the church and it's and says, well, I'm comfortable with this, but I'm not comfortable with these things. We need to be a generation that we start breaking the chains off of others in the church. This is what I love about the river is you come in here and there are no chains. There are no shackles. Now, pastor operates in order. And so, uh, of course, allowing me to come, he knows I'm not going to get up here and do something stupid. You know what I'm saying? Got to guard the pulpit. Man, you don't know. I've had, you know, there's times where I, as a pastor, I have invited someone in on the recommendation of someone else, and sitting there, I thought, Lord, please, let's just get through this, and, and I'll never have them back, I promise. Goofy stuff, you know, and so, you know, I'm not, I'm not being dishonoring, it's just, just strange, people can do strange things, but um, we need to be a people that we need to set others free, and we need to create an environment of freedom, but look at this, look at what it says, it says, where did he live? Somebody talk back to me tonight. Where did, he lived amongst the tombs. We have a culture that is enamored with death. 
We are no different than this right here. We have, an, we have a culture that is mesmerized with, uh, we can call it gothic, we can call it horror, we can call it whatever we want, but we are enamored by these things, we are drawn into it, and there is an unclean spirit that is behind these things that's trying to steal, kill, and destroy from the church today. Now, you know, I know I'm, I might preach, I'm preaching to the mature tonight. I get that, but you're a mature people and you can take what I'm going to share. So I'm going to give you kind of the hard stuff, but we'll get the honey later, okay? And so, but this is a generation that is enamored with death. And so we've got to be a people that don't speak death or participate in death, but we speak life. Do you think, honestly, do you think that it is a coincidence? 1968, I think the movie Night of the Living Dead came out. It's a generation that's enamored with death. How far have we come since that? I don't know how many television programs love stories that are written around the zombie culture. There was a man in uh, Miami, Florida, I believe two years ago, who was so uh, 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 high on drugs, out of his mind, that he attacked another man and literally on, in the middle of the road began to eat his flesh. And to this day, he is not, I mean, this is, this is headline news. I didn't read this on some back, back page report, you know, on the dark side of the internet. Headline news, they call him to this day the Miami zombie. We have a culture that is, that is enamored with death. But look at what it says next. He said, for no chains could hold him. He lived within the tombs. And then it says, um, uh, no chains could bind him. No, not with chains, because he had been often bound with fetters and chains and had uh, plucked them asunder by himself. Um, and the fetters broke into pieces. Neither could anyone tame him. And night and day he was in the mountains and the tombs crying and cutting himself. Now, if ever there was a picture of a generation that was tormented, this is a picture of a generation that is living in torment. He lives in the tombs. He dwells amongst the dead. He could not be bound. He, was, he, was, uh, he could not be restrained. And the Bible says that he would cry out. Now, somebody said he cried out because, because, he, was, uh, because he, was demoni he was a demoniac. Like if you went into a, um, a hospital and somebody was crying out out of their mind. But I believe, see, we gotta, we gotta recognize, we can't just read the Bible, we gotta read the Bible and recognize God is telling us a story, but at the same time, he is still telling us a story. And if we paint a picture of this generation and we take what I just shared with you and we take a generation that's, that, uh, that is bound, a generation that is enamored with death, a generation that cuts itself and it cries out. Why does it cry out? Because it's being tormented. This is a tormented generation, an animal of death and darkness. And so in order to get relief from the darkness, what do they do? They cut themselves. And so it builds this, it builds this terrible cycle around our children. I, I, I've done many youth camps in my lifetime. The greatest places of deliverance I've ever seen in my life has been youth camps. I think as we get older, I think we get, I just can tell you, I'll just be real with you. We get comfortable with our devil. We do. We don't, need, we don't need deliverance anymore. I've grown past that. I've, uh, I, can, I can manage what I'm going through. It's just an occasional, oh, ain't nobody help me today, just an occasional experience with someone I'm not married to. 
It's just the occasional tying one on. I can handle this. you got to recognize the culture that I come from. Our culture, you know, they're abusive, but I'm not really abusive. I'm, you know, I raise my voice and I smack people around, but I'm really not that bad. My father or my mother was way worse. I, I, I know the stuff that I've tried to raise my kids in a home better than mine, but, you know, I still, we still do all of these other things. And, see, we got to recognize that. we got to break these chains. We've got to break these fetters. The Bible does not say Jesus broke the chains. He broke them himself. See, we've got to recognize nobody is going to really break the chains off of our lives until Jesus comes in and begins to expose himself to our sickness and our disease. But we have to recognize we've got to lay it in front of him. The thing about this man is he had so lost his mind that when he came before Jesus, he held nothing back. That's a, that's a good thing about crazy folk. Because when they come in, they don't hold anything back, man. They just throw it all on the ground. It's like drunk people. Drunk people are the best givers in the world. Come on, don't get, don't get mad at me. But it's the truth. Because I've been in countless services where drunks have come in off the rope, come in and they've gotten saved and healed and set free. And they just open their wallets and dump everything in and leave, you know. I know they're waking up the next day wondering, where did my money go? Drunks are generous, right? That's why you need to get drunk in the Holy Ghost. Come on, somebody. Because <laughs> then you will get Holy Ghost generous, right? Um, that's the thing, that's the thing about, about coming before the Lord and saying, Lord, this is just who I am. Help me become who you want me to be. This young man came before the Lord. Nothing held back. And it says that Jesus saw him from afar off. He's cut himself. I wanted to talk for a moment about, about cutting before I moved forward. This is something that, this is not new. This isn't new. Uh, I, I went to school in the 80s. I graduated in 93. Um, Pastor, I, we didn't have cutting in our school. Okay? We didn't have this. I don't remember when I first heard of people doing that. And I grew up in a rural area in the Midwest. So, you know, we were probably a little bit behind on a lot of things. But, uh, you know, there was, but honestly, we just, uh, has anybody ever seen the movie Hoosiers? Seen that? That, that was literally filmed in my school district. So uh, my wife is actually in the movie. One of the extras, they brought all of us kids in and I, it was before I, it was just literally weeks before I moved in, they did it at my school. But, uh, I mean, that's, that's kind of how the culture, even though it was different, and it was, you know, some 30 years later, that's really the culture I grew up in because our, our area was pretty sheltered. But the, uh, um, I guess I had to have been at youth camp when God began to reveal this to me. And I was preaching on deliverance, and this young girl from pastor's kid wasn't, you know, one of the kids you thought was in trouble. One of the preacher's kids brings me razor blades and says, Brother Benny, I had planned on using these all weekend or all week, but tonight God delivered me and, and she turned them over, gave them to me. It, 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 it blew my mind. I didn't know. You know, we um, live in a generation where people have no problems with this. I went in and got a cup, you know, y'all know I'm a coffee guy, you know, Pastor Scott's coffee is the best coffee in the country, okay? Uh, but I'm a, coffee, I'm a coffee guy, 
and uh, I go into McDonald's, I get this cup of coffee, and the, the young lady who hands me the coffee, Miss Sandy, from here to here, she was a solid scar. I mean, it looked like she had cut herself over and over and over and over again. Um, most of the time, these things are done in places people can't see them. They're done in intimate places, which is another message on itself. They're done in intimate places where people, people don't know. Most of the young people, church kids I come in contact, that's what they've done. But this girl, literally from here to here, she has a solid scar. And when I questioned her about it, her statement was, this is the only way I can get a release. I went and held an evangelistic service in Crawfordsville, Indiana, my hometown, where I kind of grew up. I, I, we moved to the Midwest. I moved to Crawfordsville area, and it's where I went to high school and middle school. And there was a young girl in that meeting who uh, come up at the end and gave her heart to Jesus, surrendered her life to him. And I walked over to her after the service. It's Karen, I'm just loving on her, and I noticed on her arm an open wound. Now, this was a wound that was so deep that it needed stitches. And I looked at her and I said, what is this? I knew what it was. So what is this? And instantly she started crying and she said, you don't understand. This is the only release. It's the same thing over and over. This is the only release that I can get. The reason I wanted to bring this out tonight is because we have a generation that has accepted this. This is now acceptable. Oh, I won't, I won't go into everything tonight, but we dress it up a lot of different ways. But it is the same demonic spirit that is work against our young people. And we need to have a generation. Don't, isn't it interesting that we have a generation that uh, the Bible said the mark of the beast would come in. And we have a generation that has no problems with the mark. They have no, there, is, there is no turning of the stomach at all under these kinds of behaviors of cutting themselves. And so the Bible says that Jesus saw this man. The man saw Jesus from afar off, and he begins to run to him. And he begins to cry out to him. And the Bible says, in this state, he begins to worship God. He, in this state, there is something inside of him that is still knowledgeable enough that it says, if I can get in front of the master, I know that he will set me free, and I will be. You know, we need a church that will cry out for freedom. I want, we need to be a people. We've got to quit being satisfied with what we have right now. And we have got to cry out for more. I don't know about you, but I want more of his presence. I want more of his glory. I want more healings to transpire. I want more of God's goodness to happen in my life. I want more people to be blessed. I want to see God do more than we've ever seen done before. I want that for the river. I want that for this place. And I believe God sent me here tonight to speak prophetically over you. And tonight, we're going to push out of the box. We're going to push at the walls. We're going to break barriers. We're going to declare supernatural deliverance over our nation and over God's people and over this region. And we are going to get free once and for all. Now, maybe some of you are the sound of my voice. You don't have the demons that this man had. Maybe you know you, your problem is not out of your mind and the cutting. But it amazes me how auditoriums all over this country, buildings just like this, who have a flow of God similar to what you have, there will be somebody who is so tall
tormented that they have hid this thing from people. But God wants you to know if that's you tonight, he sent me here to set you free. People will say, how could people, loving people, how could they, how could we have someone in our midst who knows this is wrong? You know, they... I gotta watch my words. I wanna be careful what I say, okay? So, we have learned to be very passive about sin. We've also learned that we've been, you know, we've learned that a well known minister was asked, Your children do really good out in the world. How did you do this? Um, my, my, my children have done pretty good out in the world, you know, away from mom and dad. They were homeschooled uh, up until sixth grade, sixth grade. We reluctantly released them into the public education system, but we still prayed with them every day. We read the Bible with them. We monitored them. I was the worst parent in the classroom. I was, because as soon as something come up, I was down there, you know, more than once. I, I remember we had an issue where they were coming in and they were reading uh, uh, the Koran to the kids. And so my daughter got up and walked out of the class. The teacher came and questioned her, said, she just looked at him and said, my dad wouldn't like any of this. <laughs> she was right. I didn't. So she calls me. So I made my way down to the class. And he says, um, this is what he said. I'll never forget. Pastor Scott, he looks at me and says, what do you want me to do? And I said, I want you to teach reading, writing, and arithmetic. That's what I want you to do. And I said, so this is my question. You let them come in and read the Koran. When do I get equal time? So I want you, you know what he says to me? He says, I want you to get an artifact. I said, what do you mean? You want me to go dig up something in the Middle East? What are you talking about? He says, you got to have an artifact. He says, he says, the Muslim gentleman that came in, he had some kind of artifact. I said, what was his artifact? He couldn't tell me what it was. And I said, well, I got some artifacts. When do you want me to come in? And then he says, this is, then he says, he says, well, we're having some, you know, we're going to be talking about Judaism next week. You got a problem with that? And I said, no, I don't have a problem with that, but I appreciate you letting me know. Thank you for letting me know that you are going to take it upon yourself to teach my child religion. I'm, I'm telling you, they didn't like me. You know, uh, and I didn't care. <laughs> I'll tell you one more. So uh, our kids, when our kids were in high school, this blows me away. I'm sure in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, in this area, you guys have probably seen far worse than this. But our kids decided in, in celebration of their senior year, they were going to have jello wrestling. Jello wrestling. Oh, that's everything you think it is, okay? And not only pasture, they videotaped it and live streamed it. So I look out there, and there are 16, 17, 18-year-old kids out here, half naked, fighting in jello. Calling each it is this gross. It was disgusting. And all of a sudden, one of the kids jump out of the pool, and there's a cop standing there. Wraps her arm around the cop and takes her picture and all over Facebook. I felt sorry for that cop. So, uh, you know, my kids weren't involved, so I was thankful for that. But my problem was, where was the school at? You know, you got 200 kids out here jello wrestling in the middle of a park, and you got cops out there, and nobody cares that these kids are partying and drinking. But now, again, this, I didn't call this my fight. Today, this was not my fight because my kids weren't there. And so my son comes home and says, Dad, we had an interesting discussion in sociology today. I said, oh, yeah, what was it about? He said, it was about jello wrestling. And I said, well, how did that come up? <laughs> and he said, well, he said, our teacher said, 
that it was really good that our student body got together for an event. Huh. Well, after I repented over all the stuff that went through my head, my wife got, on, got online and wrote a letter to the newspaper and wrote a letter to the public school and tagged every principal and every teacher our kids have ever had in that letter. And all of a sudden, we're sitting there and we get a call down to the principal's office. Here I am, almost 40 years old, and I get called to the principal's office. And so what was even better was my son sitting in there when I walked in there because he was like, Dad, I didn't do anything. And I didn't. I'm serious. I walked in. He says, I don't know why I'm in here. And I looked up and said, son, actually, they called me. He's <laughs> like, well, that's a term. And so, man, this is, why, this, is what, this is what he tells me. He says, Mr. Baker, if I would have come out against it, we'd have as many people mad at me about that as you feel right now about saying it's wrong. I said, I really don't care what those people think. Those people are wrong. Those people are wrong. We need to stand up for what is right, and we need to shun what is wrong. Blew me away that we have people who even think like that. But like I said, you know, they were, when, when our kids graduated and we left, they were like, out of here now. So uh, those weren't our only battles, but... But we got a generation that we've become dismissive of these kinds of things. We've become dismissive of sin. It's just a little sin. And so, the, so this, uh, when asked, this is what she said she did. How did you do such a good job with your kids? Pastor, she said, we gave them manageable doses of the world. And that's why our kids turned out okay. We gave them manageable doses of the world. So what they did was they exposed them to a little bit of sin here, a little bit of ungodliness here, a little bit of ungodliness there, and said, this is how you have good kids. But I beg to differ. I think we should put something so holy, so righteous, so good inside of our kids that when they get around this other stuff, they don't ever want it. I know that our flesh side will cry out for sin, but we need to make something inside of our kids, inside of this generation, when they see that, that they turn from it. Because even though it might smell good, it might look good, they recognize it is just for a moment. See, the wages of sin is still death. And the Bible says that this man comes to Jesus and it says that, that uh, and he cried with a loud voice and said, what do I have to do with thee, thou son of the most high God? I adjure thee by the God that tormenteth me not. For he said unto him, come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And then, of course, we know there, there's some other things that happened. He set him free. He asked his name. He set him free. Now, I will speak just, just for real quick, just sidebar. The area where this man cast these, uh, where Jesus cast the devil out of this man and uh, they ran into the, the, to the, ocean, the, the sea. Some friends of ours went on, a, uh, went, went on an Israel trip. While they were on the Israel trip, they landed at this place, Pastor Scott, and they were at this very spot and uh, they were on a boat and one of the men who was unsaved on that boat began to act up. And you know when I say act up, you know what I'm talking about. Began to act up, you know, act out demonically. They came over, a couple of folks prayed for him, got him settled down. They got him back to his room. That night, he tore his hotel room up. 
ripped stuff off the walls, turned the beds over, busted, busted holes in the wall all over. They literally came in and they had to take him out. Somebody said, why would that happen? Well, even Jesus here acknowledged that the enemy had a certain amount of authority over that region. And so I believe to this day that there is an enemy that has a certain amount of authority over that region. See, I think we as a nation, we need to recognize that he is the prince of the power of the air. But what we need to do is we need to take it back. I think we need to be a people that start taking, uh, you know, you're, you're going to hear all these things about how bad Dallas-Fort Worth is, how bad our region is, how bad these are. You're going to hear it, and it is true. There are demonic spirits that are active, but we are God's people. We are the children of the Most High God, and we've got more authority in our pinky finger than all of the devils of hell have. So what we need to do is start taking it back. Now listen to this. This is interesting. Do you know that there is something in, in a shout that when you shout, that it literally shreds the air. Did you know that? There is something about a shout that literally shreds the air. And the Bible says that the enemy is the prince of the powers of the... And when you shout, oh, somebody get a hold of this tonight, you start tearing down the enemy. When you start praising God with exuberance and passion and authority, it starts tearing down the kingdom of darkness. Woo, that's good preaching. Pat myself on the back. I enjoyed that. Whether y'all did or not, I'm having a time of my life. And so Jesus sets this young man free. And uh, the next time they find this young man sitting at the feet of Jesus and saying, who is this man? Is this the man from the Gadarenes? How awesome is that? Deliverance. God wants, God wants his people to walk in deliverance. God wants you to be deliverers. You know, you know Moses' name was Moses because he was drawn up out of the water. His name, the name Moses, literally means to be drawn up out of the water. One of the greatest, one of the greatest uh, deliverers in the word of God is named Moses because he was drawn up out of the water. I think that's prophetic of who we are. I think we ought to be drawn up out of the water. I believe out of the waters of repentance, I believe we should be drawn up out of waters of revival. Uh, the, 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 and think about here, you're sitting in the river tonight. Come on, somebody. Woo! So, I, so tonight I, I want to I wanna go over to and, and start my message. Just kidding. <laughs> start my message of this part of, part of this message. In Genesis chapter 39, verse 20, and we read the story of Joseph. Joseph was a prince, so you understand that. You understand kingdoms were not the size in the early Bible that they were, that kingdoms are today. You recognize that, right? You also understand that they did not have the wealth then that we have now. So back then, in, in, in Jacob's day, there was not a reserve of oil somewhere that, the, that, prince, uh, that prince Joseph was getting a reciprocal income because his daddy had an oil well, right? His dad didn't own a bunch of grocery stores. He didn't own any Walmarts, nothing like that. But he had land, and he had sheep, and he had animals, and they had servants, and it still carried the same weight as any of those other things today back then. So Joseph, understand that he was still a prince, okay? But, the, but we know that his brothers, they hated him because he was a dreamer. 
They hated him because of what God had placed inside of him. They hated him because there would come a day when his whole family would bow before him. And even though his father could see the greatness in Joseph, he couldn't see that kind of greatness. Isn't that something? That even though he knew greatness was in his son, he didn't know there was that much greatness. And so, so the Bible says that there came a day when they sell him into, into slavery. They cover his, his, coat, his coat with blood, take him back to his father, and they left him in a, uh, in a, uh, a pit to be uh, either devoured by an animal or starved to death or whatever. But one of the 12 from Israel stands up and says, we can't let him stay in that pit. Does anybody know who it was? Who was the one brother that stood up? Wasn't it Judah? Judah grabbed a hold of him and said, I got to get you out of this pit. Ain't nobody can help me. Somebody should catch that right now because praise is what's going to get you out of your pit. <laughs> praise is going to get you out of your pit. And so the Bible says that, that here he is, he's confined. He's put in prison. He's put in a little six by nine cell. And it, it didn't matter. didn't matter how big it was. It was still a box. It was still containing him. It said you can only reach this many people. You can only do this much stuff. We're in a place in our ministry where we're seeking God about what to do next. I mean, literally, we're, we're asking God, God, what do you want us to do? Should we buy TV time? What do we need to do to reach more people? God, what, uh, uh, how, how can we extend our reach? What can we do to reach more people with the gospel of Jesus Christ? I mean, because I'm just going to be honest with you. Us like you, we're limited by the people's ability to either come to us or invite us in or whatever that is. How, however it limits us, but we're limited by those things. And it is our goal to reach as many people as possible and equip as many people as possible with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we find ourselves in a box and we're crying, God, how do we get out of this box? God, deliver us from this box. But just the fact that we cry, this is how big we are. We can fit in this just fine. But the desire that we cry out from the, from the middle of our heart, from the middle of our spirit, God, I want to go beyond my borders. I want to go beyond my territories. Let's us know God would have never put it in front of you if he wasn't going to do it for you. God would have never told you, I'm going to enlarge your territory. I would have never told you, I'm going to put you in a bigger building. He would have never told you, never put it in front of you if he wasn't going to do it. But time comes in, and time begins to chew away at us. And it discourages us. And it will bring the naysayers, the comforters of Job will come in and say, well, you've done something wrong, or you have missed God, and all these crazy things. But the whole time, God's saying, I want to bring a deliverer to you in your life. I want to cause you to be a deliverer. I want you to set people free. I want you to set people free from sickness. See, set people free from poverty. Set people free from alcoholism. Set people free from unclean spirits and the spirit of infirmity. We need to be a people that realize God's raising up deliverers right here in this house tonight. I, uh, I, uh, as I was praying and asking the Lord to talk to me about, about this passage of scripture, and I thought about the deliverer's anointing. <laughs> and I thought about the di different deliverers that we have. You know, there are, there are many tonight that are bound financially. And you'll never be able to do much for the kingdom of God as long as you're bound financially. It's just the truth. You'll be, you can pray and we need that. You can, you can do things, we need that. But I, I, I'm just going to be real with you. In order for us to do what we need to do for the kingdom of God, we need for the wealth of the wicked to be passed over into the hands of the righteous.
So God did not say, I was going to give you poverty. He said, I'd give you wealth. But uh, Isaac sowed in a time of famine. And in a time of famine, he reaped a hundredfold. I mean, if you think about this, the, the Bible is filled with, above all, I made that you prosper and be in good health as your soul prospers. God didn't say, I just want you to be rich and be blessed. He said, I want you to be blessed financially, physically, and spiritually, every area of your life. But somewhere along the way, we forgot we want to be blessed spiritually. We want to shout and say amen and run the aisles. We want to be blessed physically. We want to walk in divine health. But we'll give a pass to the wealth part, right? But Pastor Scott, when God does for you what he's going to do, wouldn't it be much easier to walk into a debt-free building? See, anybody can help me. See, I, what, see, I, see, my vision is I, I'd like to get together. You know, Ms. Karen, I, I, I know you have a specialty as far as nursing, okay? But I'd like you to get together with some of your nursing friends. And uh, I would like to hire all of them. And any doctor friends that you have, we're gonna, Pastor Scott, we're going to hire every one of them. We're going to load us up a big jumbo jet full of medicine and food and things to pass out and fill them with the gospel. And I'd like to load up every one of you on that jet. Ain't nobody can help me. And then we're going to fly to some part of this world that is in need of medical attention and spiritual attention. And they need food. And we're going to get out and we're going to send them and let doctors go amongst the people and let them uh, give them the medicine that they need. And then we're going to lay hands on the sick and we're going to see them recover. And then we're going to feed them and take care of them. And we're going to do what Jesus said. This is why God wants us to be blessed. But if we can't pay our mortgage payment, if we can't pay our cable bill, if we, can't, if we can't do the things we need to do in order to do those things, then how will we ever do it? God wants you to break the, God wants you to be delivered from poverty once and for all. I don't know if any of you know what poverty really is. But let me paint you a picture of the life that I grew up in. We grew up not having food. We grew up, I can remember there were five of us kids, we would, we would split a can of chicken noodle soup between five kids. Not the big family can, Pastor, the small can. And, I, and, it, and if there was, y'all remember when generic stuff was in black and white labels? It ain't like that, they got the generic stuff all fancied up today, it almost, and almost, you can't even tell the difference hardly these days. But when I was a kid, man, our, our, we didn't have anything in our cabinet that wasn't black and white labeled. I can remember... When we were kids, I, some of you, maybe you never experienced this, or, or, or I know this generation don't know this, but we had to get up at 5 o'clock in the morning and go down to the day that coincided with our name to get food stamps. And I remember we would literally, us kids, we'd sleep in the car or literally on the, the streets, the sidewalks of Meridian, Mississippi, and that's how we got food. I can literally remember we went, we went and we, we waited in line to get a, a, a can of pork and a big old block of a, of a government cheese. Listen, if you ain't ever had government, if you've ever eaten a piece of that government cheese, I, I don't care if you are 15 or 59, it is still with you. Some of you know what I'm talking about. It don't go anywhere. You eat it and it just settles. I'm here for a while, guys. Man, that, that's how we grew up. That, that we were homeless. I know poverty. But let me talk to you about poverty in America today. Poverty is not in America what it was when we were kids, this generation. Uh, it's different today. Po poverty is 70-inch television screens. It is. Poverty is uh, 
living in houses that people can't afford to live in, driving cars they can't afford to drive. And we call it blessed. I know people who live above their means, ministers of the gospel pastor who live above their means, who have to go in every month and hawk jewelry and have to hawk microwaves and televisions from their house to pay their bills. Isn't that foolishness? And that's poverty. It's poverty. We need to get delivered from that way of thinking. we got to get delivered from that. We've got to recognize if we can't pay for it and we have to put it on a credit card, we don't need it. It is a lot more impressive to pull out a wad of cash this thick from your pocket than it is to pull out a little slim credit card and just swipe it. Come on, somebody. There's a, there's a bolder statement in I worked hard and I saved this than it is to swipe a little card. Now, I know in today's society, everybody uses debit cards. Everybody uses debit cards. I get it. But uh, there, there's, uh, there, I, I remember I used to tell my kids, guys, don't let me catch you broke. Don't let me catch you broke. My kids have always worked, whether they worked for me or they worked out, they, they worked a secular job from the time they were 15, 16 years old. I used to pay them to do lawn work, always paid them good. If they traveled with me, I paid them to help me when I traveled. I always did. And I always taught them, make sure you give, make sure you spend, make sure you save. We, 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 uh, we, uh, we burned that in our kids. They always paid cash for their first car. Always made sure they didn't have any kind of car payment. We always worked hard to show our kids those things. We need a generation that is delivered from, from, uh, from poverty. We've got to teach it. We've got to talk about it. Can't be afraid to discuss it. Um, we need a generation that is that's free in their marriages, free in their homes, godly, one man, one woman marriages. Isn't that crazy that we have to identify that? But it's the truth in this generation. Now, they talk about this generation raising up and trying to show... I guess the other generation something, and, and, and they're still confused about what bathroom to use. This is craziness. Who would have ever thought we'd be at this place? We need deliverance in the body of Christ. And as sure as, as, sure as we're sitting here tonight in agreement, there's somebody close to us that's confused about who they are. There needs to be deliverance come forth. There needs to be people who aren't afraid to deal with those things. I can... Uh, I remember, I'm going to be real careful of the things I talk about tonight, okay? I won't share that. I remember when I was pastoring, we had, I remember my first encounter with a demoniac. The only way to put it, my first encounter. It was, uh, had to have been a, uh, we had Tuesday night Bible class. It wasn't, when, it wasn't Bible study, it was just a Bible class that we did for people who, we're looking for, you know, I guess, you know, just a deeper, deeper, uh, deeper discussions and interaction. wasn't service. It's just a handful of people that came. At the end of that service, there was this young man in the church who I knew had been having some problems, and he comes to me and he said, "Brother Benny, I, I need delivered." And now, if any of you've ever experienced this, you'll understand. But when he looked at me, there was another set of eyes that looked at me through his eyes. I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but, but this was my first time. I had been pastoring for about four months, okay? Believe in all of this stuff, but I'll just tell you, in Bible college, they didn't teach me any of this. There was not a card I could pull out of my pocket. I opened up my minister's manual. Not a word on deliverance, nothing. 
told me how to marry folks, told me how to bury folks, told me how to dedicate babies, even told me, gave, gave me counseling, but did not tell me how to get anybody set free. <laughs> so I just thought, I'm just going to wing this. <laughs> I've been taught. I knew what I knew, but what I didn't know, I didn't know. I just could do my best. So I had another brother come with me, and we went into the sanctuary. And there were some spectators who wanted to see what happened next. And so as we got in there, I, we, some things started to happen. And I just, I told all the spectators, I said, if you are not full of the Holy Ghost, if you are not covered by the blood of Jesus, if your relationship is not right, you need to leave right now. Pastor, they ran. They ran out of the sanctuary. They were hungry for the deeper walk, but they weren't that hungry. Um, literally ran out of the sanctuary. Just me and this other brother and this demoniac. He's laying on the floor. He, he grabbed himself and literally started choking himself out. Um, and again, I've never experienced anything like this before in my life. I've heard about it. I've seen some things, but nothing like this. And um, I'm praying every prayer I know to pray. <laughs> you know, I'm just, you know, believing God. And things were being said, and it was ugly, man. And there was a breakthrough moment. And I, I can tell you, it was God's grace, Pastor, because it wasn't because of my ability <laughs> Because I was a mess. I really didn't. I didn't. I, I know God was being gracious to me. And uh, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell that in a minute, okay? Uh, just God being gracious to me. And so after I really felt like there had been a clearance and this man was delivered, okay, I kind of waited and I said, God, I need you to let me know this man is set free. Um, again, I'm new to pastoring. I've got this guy trying to swallow his tongue and and he's coming up off of the ground and crazy things you would see in a movie, you know. And uh, I said, God, I said, I've got to know. I'm not leaving here until I know this man is delivered. And all of a sudden, this man, five minutes before, is cursing and spitting. All of a sudden, he starts singing, Jesus, 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 the sweetest name I know. So I, and I'm telling you, it was the grace of God, Pastor. It was not my ability. But in that moment, I started having a series of dreams. God's always talked to me in a limited way through dreams. Pastor, I would open up my Bible, and my Bible would be empty. It, it was like a reoccurring dream. I said, God, what are you trying to show me? And, I mean, this was, this was like nonstop. And to some of you, this might be pretty evident. But to me, I could not figure it out. And the Lord was telling me that he's going to send me people who needed delivered. And I didn't have what I needed to get him delivered to get myself right. And not sin, nothing like that, but to get myself knowledgeable and understanding about deliverance so we could see people set free. Now, I'm not the guy, you know, I have a friend, Pastor Rocky, and I know you guys operate and, and deliver folks. I know that. I'm not the deliverance guy. You know, I'm not the guy who comes in and, and you know, that's just, that's just, but the Lord was telling me that he was bringing me to a place where he wanted me to be able to, to actively deliver people. Um, a lot of times we see people delivered in the service without even come forward. A lot. We were in service one time. This lady comes in. She comes, she walks through the back doors. And she walks to the sanctuary door. And pastor, she cannot come in the sanctuary. She stands at the doors, puts one hand on each side. This lady's never been to our church before. Doesn't know anything about our ministry or her life. But she can't come through the doors of the building. And she stood there and a couple of the ladies were discerning, and they recognized what was going on. They went back, they started praying with her. And I'm preaching. 
You know, it, it's, it's uh, uh, you know, uh, it, it's chaotic, but it's not out of order. Does that make sense? So they start praying with her, and she comes in and she sits down. While she's sitting there, all of a sudden she gets up, she runs out of the sanctuary, and she gets nauseous. She gets sick. She starts, starts manifesting. And the ladies are back in the back room praying with her. At the end of the service, there's some other things that happen without going into great detail and making the story really long. At the end of the service, she had, she had gotten set free. And uh, she comes to me, and she said, I heard what you said to me during that service. I said, excuse me? And she said, I, I heard you. When you turned to me and you talked right to me, I knew I, knew I needed to get my life right. It never happened. It never happened. And I said, what did I say? <laughs> I did. So what did I say? And she said, I know. She, she said, you looked right at me and you said, I know that you want to go out there right now and you want to get high and you want to get drunk and you want to party. I said, but tonight Jesus wants to set you free. And she said, so tonight I surrendered my heart. And she came to the altar. She gave her heart to the Lord. God got her right. Took some working with. Now, you know, I do recognize that not everybody gets right right away. It's just, it's just how it is. We, we were taught growing up that just like Jesus, this man didn't come back for repetitive counseling, understand? So we were taught that was the model. But what I've learned is, is that some people, they like what they're dealing with. And so they find themselves going back to it and find themselves right back in that old lifestyle if they're not careful. They'll open up that wrong door. And so we have to work with people and now, those are some things that I've learned, but, but God has called us. Are you learning? Is this good tonight? Are we okay? Um, God has called us to be a deliverer. Joseph, whether it was a pit or it was a prison, he was still, he was still contained. We've got to break containment out of and off of our lives. We've got to break it. So, In Exodus 17:40, I won't read all. I'll go through this next, uh, these next couple things just very quickly. And we'll move on to some other things tonight. Because I believe God's breaking containment off of you tonight. I believe that. Um, in Exodus, we know that, once again, Moses was a deliverer. They were in a, a land called Goshen. And though they were safe, this box held, some say, two to four million people, but they were still contained. Doesn't matter how big the box is or how many people it holds, containment is still containment. And God wants to set you completely free. He wants, to, wants you to be completely, completely free when it comes to healing. Completely free. Catherine Kuhlman was praying for a lady one time, and this lady was twisted and crippled. She must have had crippling arthritis. Twisted and crippled. And as she prayed for her, one by one, Pastor, her joints began to pop open. God completely healed her. And then all of a sudden, she had one pinky joint that did not pop right. And she went to, she went to Catherine Coleman and said, why didn't that pinky joint pop right? And she wasn't in pain. And she said, because God wants you to remember where you came from. I thought, that's an, in, that's an interesting story. Because I would have thought, I would have said, well, God wants you completely healed. God wants you, but sometimes we've got to remember where we came from. The children of Israel, instant, every time, isn't it amazing how God could deliver them from Egypt, but he could not deliver Egypt from them. 
Because their first response is, I will go back to. I will. At least we had leeks and melons. Isn't that something how the first time we get, I, I knew this good Christian man. Man, I never dreamed this. Good Christian man, loved the Lord. Picked me up, took me to Sunday school when I was a kid. Every time he went through a hard time, he would go out and buy a bottle of whiskey and get drunk. You'd see him in the altars weeping and crying, praying for people, loving on people. But the very thing God delivered him from was the thing he would go right back to every time he went through a hard time. Isn't that something? That's how it's said. But see, that's not delivered. That's not delivered. See, this is my prayer for those of you. My father, I don't, I don't want to dishonor my father. Um, but I'm sharing my testimony, okay? I grew up without my dad in the home. But my father was an abusive drug addict and an abusive alcoholic. He didn't just drink. He drank and he was mean. He beat my family. He beat my mom, beat my brothers, beat my sisters. He more than once literally hung my brothers on nails on the wall when they would try to stop him from beating my mom. My father was a terrible alcoholic. I remember the day God delivered him. My mom had had enough of it. And she began to pray. And, and once again, we grew up, my family was Baptist. I'm the first full-blown Pentecostal in the family, okay? But she had heard that Jesus could set people free. She started praying that my father, he, you know, he, it'd been a bad night. Been praying that my father would be set free. My father came home from uh, work that day and asked my mom to go buy him buttermilk. And from that day forward, he didn't drink anymore. God completely set him free. Now, he still had some character issues and things that he had to deal with, but God set him free. And he had other things in his life that had to be worked out, but God set him free that day. See, we've got to, we've got to learn to die to the taste of what it is that messes with our head. If it's pornography, pray that God so makes you hate the thought of it. If it's alcohol, if it's drugs, if it's whatever the vice is, we've got to pray, God, let me, I think pastor said it earlier, let me hate the things that you hate. And let me love the things that you love. Because God hates sin of all kinds. And we, if we've got the mind of Christ and we've got the heart of God, then we are going to hate sin of all kinds. So let's be a generation that rises up and we cry, God, don't just deliver us out of the sin. Take the taste of it out of our lives. Remove us so far from it that we never want to go back to it again. But there is something about that hurt that we like. There is something about it. Some of you, you grew up with things in your childhood that were ugly. But even though it was ugly, you still have a fond memory of it. We need to allow God to heal us of that fond memory. And we have to recognize that it is there. I'll give you a good example of that. I, I, I've never been a smoker. You know, I mean, I guess when I was a kid, I took a puff off a few cigarettes here and there. But I've never been a smoker. It's not in me. I'm not a drinker. Never been drunk. Never been high a day in my life. But I, I hated cigarette smoke as a kid. But whenever my dad or my oldest brother would come visit, I would wake up to the smell of, of cigarette smoke in the house. And somehow my mind cultivated a good image of that smell. My granny baker had a smell about her. I never knew what it was. It was just a smell, Pastor. I mean, I thought it was granny smell. It was granny baker smell. I'd go to the house, I just thought it was a granny smell, you know. I smelt this, I had no idea what it was. Until I was 18 years old, I was working in a little grocery store that I'd been working in for two years. They had got a shipment of tobacco in. 
And I walked by the tobacco cabinet, and I just about killed over because I smelled granny. I had no idea my granny dipped snuff. No idea. I had no idea of granny baker's smell. It wasn't granny's smell. It was tobacco. <laughs> I had no idea. I know my family. So I just, it did, you know, granny had been passed away for some time. I just felt like she was standing right there by me. But isn't it something how our mind will take something that is ugly and we will, but we need to let God heal us of that. Let's break the containment. Let's get rid of the containment in our lives, the things that's holding us back. You, I, there's never been a moment in my life I wanted to be like my father in those things. Never a moment, never a moment when I wanted to, where I wanted to be an alcoholic or I wanted to be abusive or I wanted to be hurtful. Is that me? I'm sorry. I was, everybody thought it was you. Bless your heart. It is time to take my vitamins. <laughs> sorry. I got my phone on silence, so it shouldn't have done that. And it snoozed. Lord, help me. Excuse me. I'm, I'm having a moment here. Let me, make, let me make a phone call and we'll be all right, okay? I'm just kidding. Y'all just talk amongst yourself. I'll be done in a second. I got my phone on silence. I really did. I listened to pastor. Two million people fit in this box, but it was still a box. Still a box. So... Lastly, if we could not could turn there, we're just we're gonna go to Luke chapter 17. And I'm, gonna, I'm gonna get out of my box, Pastor, so I'm sorry. But there's a box every one of us will someday end up in. Every one of us fits you perfectly. You can go in, you'd have the colors picked out, you have the most beautiful coffin made, fit you perfectly. But it is just a box. The Bible said that they were walking through the streets of the city with a boy in a box. Died prematurely. I, I don't know if the Bible even specifies what he, what he died of. But his mama is weeping and wailing. But Jesus happens to come by this procession. And I can, I can imagine Jesus talking amongst himself and talking to the disciples. Excuse me, gentlemen, could you tell me what happened to the boy in the box? Well, he was, was in a bad accident. It's terrible. His mother is sober. It was her only son. His mother's brokenhearted. Something interesting happens. So this is what they do. Jerry, they take the boy and they stop the whole moving of everything. And they've got the boy in the box. Now, Jesus is a full rabbi. He's met everything necessary to, to meet all the fulfillments of being a rabbi. So, so here Jesus is, following the law to the letter, okay? And so uh, we know that as a man of God, as a rabbi, he could not touch that dead body. His covenant would not allow him to. But Jesus does something amazing in this moment. Because he recognized how important it is for us to get out of our box. So I believe I could stand here tonight and tell you that Jesus will get you out of your box. And so Jesus leans down and he takes that hand. And he puts it on the boy. And all of a sudden the boy sets up in the coffin and he is now delivered from his box. 
The same box that society says every one of us will end up in. Good, bad, indifferent, sick, rich, blessed, prosperous, holy, unholy. Everybody, will. there will come a day for all of us when we will spend eternity somewhere. And Jesus leaned down. So this is what I propose to you tonight. If he was all God and he was all everything he was supposed to be, not able to touch that boy, what happened was just the idea in the atmosphere that Jesus was there about to touch that boy, instantly life began to take place inside of that box. I want you to know tonight you might have some dead stuff in your life, dead stuff in your box. Just the idea of Jesus being in the room tonight is going to cause your dead stuff to live again. The thing, your dreams, your visions, your anointing, whatever has been dead, I believe tonight God is going to wake it up. Still just a box. Doesn't matter how big it is. Doesn't matter how pretty it is. It's just a box. You're standing to your feet with me tonight. With a show of hands tonight, how many of you have felt contained? Let me see your hands. <laughs> I must have preached the right message to the right people. I want to do something interesting tonight. I, I know uh, I, I want to, I want to we'll, we'll pray for everybody, maybe even a couple times. But tonight I want to do something prophetic. Can we do that? Can we just do 